0: Okay, so um, for those of you that are visiting, um, we are, uh, for the last sort of six to eight months, we've been in Corinthians, uh, an amazing letter from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. And it's, you know, it's, it's pretty varied. It's sometimes a little bit hard hitting, certainly challenging uh, and, and encouraging all at the same time. So I want, I've got a quick question before we get into it. What does spiritual maturity look like? When we think about, Spiritual maturity, what attributes jump uh, forward? Is it an older person? Is it someone with loads of wisdom? Is it someone that lives by faith? Is it always someone that seems to rock up with faith? You know, those guys and girls, whenever they're in the room, they're the ones that always have some faith, even when it's pretty pear-shaped. Is it someone who's a great communicator and a great teacher? Is it someone with just extraordinary gifting and insight? You know those kind of people? I've got a friend who's got just extraordinary insight. Twice, I think, she, she said that we were pregnant before we even realized it. You know those kind of people? They kind of look at you. I promise I won't pick on you. <laughs> Because they moved from there to the front. You know those kind of people that just, they know? It's like God speaks to them. It seems to be ahead of us, <laughs> normal people. Is that what spiritual maturity is? I think maybe all of these things are part of the parcel, if you like, or the packaging of what it means to be mature. But in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, there's a vital ingredient that must be present, that has to be present. Now, like I said, and I confessed about my Netflix addiction, See, we believe in being real here and honest and transparent. I love a good detective sort of story, a bit of a good thriller, you know, where there's a, the detective is chasing down the murderer, you know, and how do they do it? But they... They they, they 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 go looking for evidence don 't they you know and they find bits of evidence and they bag and tag it and it 's like the case is being built, and the dots are being you know kind of connected and, and 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 the case is being built and then eventually you know they real you know they eventually get the person and they bring them into court, and all of the evidence is produced isn 't it and the case is built, and eventually all of the evidence points towards that accused person and they're then convicted because of the overwhelming evidence that the detective has found that is against them. What we're going to look at today is this, is the number one essential bit of evidence that we have connected with God that we know God, that we are walking with God, isn't that we're all amazingly gifted people, isn't, you know, that, that we have the most extraordinary personalities. The evidence that Paul says and talks about the evidence of spiritual maturity as individuals and people who are walking with God or as a congregation corporately is this. There will be evidence of love amongst us. Love is that number one thing that God is looking for and is interested in. And I've been thinking as I read this passage, and it's a well-known passage, and it's hilarious in one sense, that a year on, you know, I was preaching on this passage, and I read it, the great love passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But as I've been pondering it, and we're going to read it in a minute, I've been thinking, who would rock up if I was in the dock being accused of love? Who would it that the prosecutor would go and find and wheel out as a witness of, you know, would it be my friends and my family? Would it be my colleagues? Would it, would, would it actually be my neighbors that sometimes, you know, actually I've got great neighbors. I nearly said something else there. I ha- I've got great neighbors. But you know, would it be colleagues? Who would they bring out? And th- would they be able to say, yeah, I've received love from that guy. I know what love is because I've felt it in them. The love of God in them has touched my life in a tangible way. Would there be enough people to convict me and sentence me? And so I've been kind of thinking that through. Would I be convicted of a man and a life of love? Interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? And what we're going to find is, That the love that Paul talks about is a love that goes up, it goes in, and it goes out. The love that God is looking for is a love that is upward to God. We love our Father in heaven, and people will see that. But also, there's a love for one another, a love for brothers and sisters that's tangible, that's real. A love in this room, in church, is something exceptionally special. And then there's a love that isn't contained in this building, isn't contained in this community. It's a love that has to be expressed to the world. This is the kind of love that God is looking for in you and me. Why don't we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And and some of us know this passage probably off by heart. But I just want to read the first little bit. It says, uh, uh, right at the end of 12, Paul says this. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Paul goes all Yoda on the Corinthian church, doesn't he? I will show you an excellent way. A most excellent way I will show you. That's rubbish Yoda. (laughs) Some of you are like, who's Yoda? Star Wars, yes. But you you see, so so Paul is about to say, listen, church, let me explain to you the most excellent way to live. Let's read it together. Beautiful, beautiful passage. Lord Jesus, would you just take these well-known words that many of us have heard many times. Maybe at our own weddings, maybe at friends' weddings, and would they come to light in us again and afresh, we pray. Amen. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. Love never fails. How good is this? I mean, this is poetic. I mean, this is... this is. You know, words at its best, I think. Do you not think love never fails? But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. For when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. And then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. Even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Wow dude could write you know just have a look at this in this chap this this ch- chapter you can see the paragraphs and it, it it's broken down and uh into sort of three chunks uh, and i want to suggest there are kind of three emphases that paul uh, wants the church in Corinth, to get a hold of. And and the first three verses is is this. Love is essential. It's absolutely vital. It's of paramount importance. It's what the Lord is looking for in us. And only he can fashion it and put it in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Love goes beyond words, doesn't it? Look so at that. I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but without love, I am a clanging symbol. Love goes beyond words, it goes beyond language. And when love isn't there, then actually it becomes just a noise and it becomes just a ritual that's actually empty. You know, without love, then suddenly it's like the orchestra. Is already, but the conductor is missing. You see that? He says we can have a whole load of activity in our lives, but without love, without the conductor, it just becomes a noise that is actually quite painful. I mean, I love our PA guys. You know, they work so hard at, at tweaking things at the back and trying to get this stuff to sound good. Not because they don't, you know, I mean. <laughs> but but you know, they do all they can to make it sound. R- do you know, I'll tell you what, I've been in places where I've even heard like some of my favorite songs being sung, or you know, like you put a CD on, or DVD, or whatever it is. And and, 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 and the PA system, or wh- whatever, is just so rubbish. It just, it's painful to the ears. You ever been there? And even though there's a song that you know, that you love, because the PA is so rubbish, it's actually quite painful. And it certainly doesn't move you. What Paul is getting at here is we can have a whole load of spiritual activity going on in our lives. And it looks amazing, but the reality is without love, it's just noise. It's just noise. And then he goes on. Love goes beyond knowledge. Look at that. If I had the gift of prophecy and can fathom all of the mysteries and all knowledge... Love, real love, goes beyond knowing stuff. It moves from here to here. It moves from head to soul. Real love isn't just knowledge here, but it's embodied in our lives. So we're not just Wikipedia. We're living, breathing, loving knowledge. It goes beyond prophetic insight. And even there it says, Faith that can move mountains but not have love. I am nothing. If I give all I have, all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but not love, I gain nothing. What is he talking about here? He's saying that even in those amazing Public acts of generosity, charity, and kindness, and even sacrifice, they can become duty bound and not motivated out of love. He's saying love is at the core of this thing, and without it, it actually doesn't work. So, love is totally essential. Now, let's just remember for a second, I know I appreciate we have some visitors amongst us, but we've been journeying, haven't we? And, and this chapter 13, funny enough, comes off the back of chapter 12. <laughs> it's amazing that, isn't it? And what's on earth is, is, is Paul been talking about in chapter 12? Well, he's been talking about the body and spiritual gifts. So what he's doing here is he's saying, by the way, guys, you know Corinth, you're a body, and you're not really operating right. You're dysfunctional. Why? Because you're doing all this stuff, but the problem is love isn't at the center of it. You know, and he uses that analogy of a body, and really love is the blood in the body, the the the, the system, if you like. The, the 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 blood is like the delivery system of everything else that the body parts need. And so if the if the system isn't working, if there's no blood flowing to the legs and to the arms, then all of the, the stuff that the legs and the arms and the fingers need—if that's not flowing—then actually that body isn't going to function. It was a great picture, isn't it? You see, you know, when we think about all of the issues, and we're going to do that in a minute of, of the last six months that we've talked about, this body isn't functioning the way it should be because it is lacking love. Love is the delivery system of the body of Christ. It's the blood that brings life to other parts of the body. It's the ship that holds the cargo. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm a visual processor. I think visually. I need visual stuff. So for me, the sort of, the idea that blood is coursing around my body, delivering everything that it needs. Or a ship, sounds cheesy, named love, is delivering cargo from one place to another that we desperately need. So he's saying that love is the essential evidence that we know God. And that's what he's looking for. And so he's sort of saying here, you you can have all the gifting and insight, but without love, it doesn't count for much. Um, Listen, as a church, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe, don't we, that the Spirit of God has come and brought all of these gifts to do a number of things amongst us. And we'll come to that in a second. And the number one thing is to encourage and to build us up. But we also know that the Corinthian church was misusing all of this because of this issue. They're not operating in love. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says this, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So he was commending the Thessalonian church. He said, I don't need to tell you about how to love one another because God, you've, you've been taught by God. In other words, he's saying, you know Christ's example. You know John chapter 13 well, my friends. John chapter 13, a new command I give to you to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. The problem with the Corinthian church was this. Their witness was being torpedoed in their own community because actually they lacked love for one another. This is the context of this great love chapter. And so when we look at Christ's example, he teaches us, he commands us to love. Right, the next bit is this you know let you know as we start to verse 4 through to 8 it starts to describe and define what love is and that's really important for us isn't it and what we find is that love builds love edifies love never tears down it always builds up and we know We don't need to really go over the issues of the Corinthian church. Brothers are taking brothers to court in the public arena. It's gutting. We've got people trying to, you know, pit one leader against another because there's an agenda going on. There's all sorts of morality issues born out of selfish desires. We've actually got the rich taking care of themselves, and the poor really struggling. And actually, Taryn is going to look at that issue in the next week or so. The Corinthian church needs an antidote to combat the virus that's actually pulling them apart. Paul says the antidote is love and Christ's love. I don't know where we're at today, in our own personal lives, in our own walks, in our own relationships, between spouses and husbands, between mums and dads. Listen, life can be tough, can't it? But the antidote to all of those tensions and stresses and and all of that, Paul is clear, is a good dose of genuine love. And what does that look like? And all I really want to do this morning is just remind us of this this love that it's patient and kind does not envy does not boast and is not proud no wonder paul kicks off with you know patience and kindness to a community that needs to change and if any of you have children you know when children are growing and changing as parents isn't it true More than anything, we need to have patience. Would you not agree? I'm just looking at some mums and dads. Some of you are like going, oh yeah. You see, I thought I was a patient person until I had children. And my kids are brilliant. I've got to say that one sat right here. No, they really are. They really are. But isn't that true? So, So when it comes to church, why aren't we patient with one another? When God calls us to walk alongside each other, we're willing to do that with our own children because why? We love them. They're part of us. They're in our family. Hello, hold on. This is what Paul's saying about us. We are one out. We are connected. We are brothers and sisters. We're family now. And he's saying, dudes, real love means you're going to have patience with one another. Even when they trip, they fall, repeat the same mistakes. you got to get along. got to get alongside them. Love manifests itself in the community of God with real patience and kindness. You know, I can say this today because Victoria is not here. She's actually over in Ellen leading worship. Do you know what? I'll tell you one of the reasons why I married Victoria, my wife. I mean, she's gorgeous. But I'm not that shallow. She is genuinely probably the kindest person I know. And the reason why she's kind is this. She constantly steps out of herself into other people's shoes. Some of you have experienced Taw's kindness. In ministry, she empathizes incredibly well. You see, to be patient and to be kind means we have to step outside of ourselves. It's an Other, it's an other person deal. Real love is summarized there, isn't it? Very, it says there, love is not self seeking. It's a quick summary of all of the other stuff above it. Goes on, don't be envious and don't be jealous. Let's not boast or shout about self. It's not rude. It's not self seeking. It's other people orientated. And what I want to say is, it celebrates with others. This kind of love celebrates when other people have, you know, when good stuff happens to them. You ever met somebody who struggles to celebrate? When other when good stuff happens to other people I'll be honest with you I, I have been in situations where I have good stuff's happened and there's been that little twitch in me and I've thought why can't I celebrate with them and if I'm absolutely brutally honest it's because I've been jealous or I've been slightly envious real love doesn't do that it rejoices when 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 good things have happened to scott it rejoices when great things happen to martha you see it, 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 it jumps out and goes yes with the other person because it's not about me it's about them real love is other is in, is other people orientated so it's not self-seeking paul isn't saying that love as we read that passage, you know, and I've been reading it over and over, Paul isn't saying that love is some kind of existential philosophy out there. Let's just read this again, really. You know, when I read this through, it's, it, it, there's, it's like it, he's doing two things here. He's going, he, he's kind of talking about the inside and then the outside. It's almost like he's talking about a person. So it's like love is patient, isn't it? Because that's an attitude. Love is kind. It does not envy. Envy is a heart issue, isn't it? It doesn't boast. So now it's the outside thing going on. It's about speaking or shouting. It's not proud. Pride becomes a heart thing, right? it's not rude so suddenly it's not interjecting all the time it's not self seeking it's not easily angered so now suddenly you know there's an outburst it keeps no record of wrongs that's a heart thing isn't it see what's it's like inside outside love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres paul is going after what's Real love is, is what's going on in here. And as he's describing it, I can't help think he's not just describing attitudes or manifestations. He's describing a person. He is describing Jesus himself, isn't he? That's what he's doing. Romans 8 says this, that the spirit you you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry Abba Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are now children of God and now if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Paul is describing not just the attributes of love he is describing the character of jesus and the character of god if we know christ then we know the father and if we know god and we know jesus then these this these characteristics will be in us and it's i guess collectively we're called then to draw them out of one another And so love then encourages and builds us up. Because that's what Jesus does. And then finally this. There's loads we could say about this. But finally this. Love endures. Do you see it? Love goes on. Love lasts. Love is made of eternal material. Look what he says there. And he does that thing, doesn't he? That he's done about four times already. Where he takes us from the present and gets us to then look forward to the future. Look what he says. He says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies they will cease. And where there are tongues they will be stilled. For where there is knowledge it's going to pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. What is he talking about there? When perfection comes, who is the perfect one? It's Jesus. So there's going to come a day, and he's getting the church now to move their eyes from their current situation to the future moment where where perfection comes. When we meet perfection, either when we die and meet Christ or when Christ returns, perfection will come. And he says, and when perfect perfection comes, what's going to happen? The imperfect has to go. Perfect love casts out all fear. When Jesus comes and we experience and we know real perfect love, then that which isn't perfect love in us has to go. It cannot be and cannot and will not remain in his presence. Isn't that interesting? And so he wants us to remember to build with eternal material. As I've been reading this this week and just thinking it through, I'm thinking, what on earth would be left of me in that moment? Again, I I know I'm a visual person. I think I'm a loving person. I do love God. I do love Christ. I do love you lot. I know sometimes you don't think I do, but I do. But when I meet perfected love, that which is not perfected love is going to go. I wonder what's going to be left. I'm praying there's plenty. (laughs) I hope there's lots. But this is the perspective that Paul wants the Corinthian church to have. So they move from being children to mature adult Christians. On that day, look, it says there, "I, I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. Sometimes we need to look to the future to help us move from childish love to mature love. From childish perspective on life and relationships to mature perspective on how to love one another. And so for us as a church, I can hear Paul's words echoing to us. The number one thing he wants from us is to love each other as I have loved you. And when we would start to do more of that, because I think that scripture out of Thessalonians is a word for you and for me. We are doing it. But he lands at that. He says, and yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. There is always room to love one another more and more. And the more that we do that, the more that we experience his love shed into our lives, then we can love one another here in this church, in these relationships that we have, in our small groups, as we've heard this morning, amongst us as men and women, as, as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters, as husbands and wives, as, as dads and kids, then the world will take note. And then all of the spiritual gifting stuff comes kind of like it's like suddenly it ignites and makes sense. And we become even more effective. Paul wants the church in Corinth to be effective in its community. We want to be effective in our community. To do that, we need more of his love in our lives. We're going to continue to sing. And I'm, I'm going to let Christine you're gonna come. And we're going to respond. I don't know about you. I need more love. I need more love for my family, for you guys, and for the world in which I'm in. And the only way that ever happens is when I'm really open and I surrender and say, Jesus, I need more of you. So why don't we do that? Why don't we stand? We're going to sing and then we're going to respond. Okay.